is Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 4, it's page 3 if you're using that blue Bible. Genesis chapter 4. So Genesis 3, in the midst of goodness, in the midst of plenty, plentiful goodness, humankind decide to rebel against God and they throw each other under the bus. Right? And so in the midst of all of their sin, well, the woman you gave me, she made me sin. And oh, the serpent you put in the garden, he made me sin. So everybody's throwing everybody under the bus. It's terrible. In the first sin, all relationships were damaged and you begin to see then as a result of this train wreck by human ingenuity and human insurgency and human inanity comes Genesis 4. And notice what happens immediately within the family. Genesis 4, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. That's in the Hebrew, Yahweh, his personal name, with the help of Yahweh. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to Yahweh, to the Lord, an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord, Yahweh, had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And so the Lord, Yahweh, said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, you but you must rule over it. There was anger and there was envy in Cain's Life ruling, trying to take over Cain. And he has a moment where he could actually turn that all around. Ah, but then verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord, Yahweh, said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord, Yahweh, said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And you can see why, as Wes was pointing out in the call to worship from 1 John 3, that John is pointing to Cain's attitude and heart and actions as worldliness. This is what it is to be worldly. And one of those aspects is you're at each other's throats. So now we turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 16 and 17. We looked at Romans 1 last week. We read all the way down to verse 32. We're answering the question in our series, what is the gospel? And that's what we've been working at. And so I told you last week we would come back to this passage and here we are. And so Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written over in Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. Brothers and sisters, what I have read to you, from Genesis and Romans, it is the rightening, it is the uh, rousing word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Unsettle us. Unsettle us where we are too sinfully settled. Secure us where we are too sinfully insecure. 
and light our fires where they have gone out. Amen. You may be seated. And so, for those of you who are visiting, on the back of the worship guide, there's a sermon outline there. There's several points. Don't freak out when you see all 27 of those points or whatever it is. It's five. Don't panic. Breathe. Ready? One, two, three. Breathe in. Breathe out. There you go. Okay. So, you know, I just want you to know that there is something going on at the Oklahoma State Capitol. And what is going on at the Oklahoma State Capitol that I have in mind is not giant, it's not huge. It will never show up on MSNBC, CNN, or Fox News. It will never really be talked about much, but it is beautiful. It's called the Capitol Bible Study. You, our, one of our oldest, older pastors back in the 1990s was instrumental in setting up the Capitol Bible Study or stepping in and, and fostering it and facilitating it and has been going on ever since then. What makes it beautiful is I get to go every month. Pastor West goes, Casey Shutt, who's at King's Cross, and then Matt Wiley's at Shawnee Presbyterian. Um, Shawnee Presbyterian gets to lead it. He kind of sets it up all the time. But it's a delight to walk in because what I anticipated the first time I came is I thought I would see a bunch of politicos, a bunch of people who were all animated about politics, stepping in to see how they could leverage the other side. And there would be nothing really beautiful. It would just be power plays. But what I found, and it's been consistent, I've been going for like eight years down there to teach. What I find consistently is this, is that the 15, 20, 30 people that come in, they're all worker bees. They're all the administrators and all those people. They come in, they never talk about politics. They come in and they say, hey, you know, last week you mentioned that your mom was having cancer surgery. How did that go? We prayed for her last week. How did that work out? And they come in and immediately begin fellowshipping. They come in and immediately express love for one another, and they like being together at the state capitol. Whoa! They like being together. And they come in, and they're black, they're Hispanic, they're white, they're Asian. They come in, they're Roman Catholic, they're Pentecostal, they're independent, loads of Baptists, and a few pesky Presbyterians. They come in, and they don't sit there... And do this. They don't leverage. They come in and love one another and enjoy being together. It is beautiful. And it is a picture of what we're going to be looking at today as we look at one more question as we answer the main question. Last week we examined Romans chapter 1 verses 16 through 32. And we walked through the whole thing to help us to get a fuller answer to the main question. What is the gospel? We worked on addressing five out of six topics. Why the gospel comes, that's all in verses 18 through 32. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, of humans. And we all agreed that we're all humans, so that's talking to every one of us, right? This is why the gospel comes. What the gospel carries, the power of God for salvation, verse 16. When the gospel connects, the righteousness of God is brought forth in the gospel. The righteousness of his moral and ethical purity, but also the righteousness that he puts on us so that we are now in Christ on his good side. We discussed how the gospel courses, it flows from faith for faith. And finally, we ended where the gospel counts, even in dark, dismal social circumstances of verses 18 through 32. Just like in Habakkuk, no matter what happens, the righteous 
made righteous by God. The righteous live. How? By faith. Where the gospel connects or counts. There was one aspect we I mentioned we were going to come back this week and look at, and I only gave it to you and said, just put a bookmark there. It's right at the end of verse 16. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek, who the gospel collects. That's what we're going to address today. Who the gospel collects. Notice that language in verse 16. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. Why does Paul use that language? Well, that's Paul's way of talking about our kind and those not our kind. In fact, that's how the Jews use that language. Where there's us Jews, our kind, the superior. And those Greeks, they ain't our kind and they are inferior. But then if you cross the railroad tracks to the Greek side and you said, how do you guys look at yourself? They would say, we Greeks, that's our kind. We are superior mentally, superior morally to those Jews that... That, that which is not our kind. That was the language used in that day. All over the place. Sounds oddly maybe contemporary, somebody? Our kind and those not our kind. And my friends, part of the train wreck of, cre- of God's creatures is that we isolate and we divide And we do so along every line you can imagine. We do it over party lines. We do it over political lines. We do it over tribal lines. We do it over ethnic lines. We do it over hobby lines. We do it over every line you can imagine. We like to isolate and divide. Our kind is superior to those not our kind. And what does the gospel do? Paul says right there, the gospel comes and it collects. It collects men, women, girls, and boys from every walk of life, from every tribe, from every language, every skin color, every hood, every clan, and on and on, and it draws them in. In other words, the gospel comes in and it reverses the fall in Genesis 3. But it also reverses Genesis 4. Because of the fall, we love to be at each other's throats. Brothers against brothers. It even reverses Genesis 4. Paul is going to be making that point and making his case stronger than titanium. I used to work on fighter jets and titanium was the strongest, one of the strongest metals we used, usually around the jet engines because it could take all the heat. He's going to make his case stronger than titanium through all 16 chapters of Romans. So all those points in your worship guide there and the sermon notes are actually introduction. Because we're going to run through Romans very quickly so that you can try, hopefully you can see how Paul has this concept, the gospel collects our kind and those not our kind all the way through Romans. It's actually one of the main points of Romans. And so first off, he begins by addressing the fact that we are all on the same sinking boat together. We heard that last week as we looked at verses 18 through 32. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, our kind and those not our kind. Oh, now we're in a heap of trouble. Well, Paul won't let it stop. He continues to build that point all the way through chapter 2. For example, in chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, he says... 
There will be tribulation and distress for every human being, our kind and those not our kind. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first, and also for the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also for the Greek. Why? For God shows no partiality. For our kind or those not our kind, God shows no partiality. And so Paul just keeps hammering that out. And so if you look at chapter 3, for example, starting at verse 9, I hope you have your Bibles open and can follow along in your apps and follow along. But he comes right out and says it very clearly. Verse 9, what then are we Jews, our kind? Paul was Jewish, so he's talking about our kind, his kind. What then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who does good. There's none who seeks after God, and on and on and on. And so none of us, none of our kind, and none of those folks who are not our kind, none of us is righteous, no, not one. Our ship is sinking, and it is sinking beyond recovery. It is sinking beyond hope. And all of us, every man, woman, boy, and girl, Jews and Greeks, circumcised and uncircumcised, my kind and those not my kind, are on the same boat. And it's going down, and we're going down with it together. That's Paul's point in chapters 1 through 3. And so, no surprise then. In the rest of chapter 3 through chapter 6, Paul comes and says, and we all need the same saving rescue. The rest of chapter 3 all the way through chapter 6. And so we need the same saving rescue. God's world rescue operation has always been, and I hope somebody's listening, it has always been for Jews and Gentiles from day one. It has always been. Abram, I'm going to make a covenant with you through your offspring. All the nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's rescue operation has always been to collect Jews and Gentiles together. In fact, Paul says that. If you look at chapter 3 again, look down at verse the end of verse 20. Two, I mentioned this last week when we read this passage that here is the beginning of the answer for us on who the gospel collects. So the end of verse 22, Paul says, there is no distinction for all, my kind and those not my kind. All have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. Oh, but Paul goes on, good news, and are justified because of the goodness of of, the, of God's good Son, we can now be put on God's good side by grace alone and Christ alone. And we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And I gave you, a, I hope, a great illustration last week of propitiation. The judge who paid the price in Fairfax, Virginia for the deaf couple and did exactly what the law required for that deaf couple, if you remember that. But notice the point. All are saved in the same way. It's the same rescue. We all need the same rescue. There is not a rescue for our kind and a rescue for those not our kind. 
There's no other way but Christ alone. Let me say it again. There's no other way but Christ alone. For all of us, our kind and those not our kind. And so the same saving rescue, Paul keeps going on with it in verse in chapter 4 when he uses even Abraham as an illustration. He says, let me just point this out to you. When, when Abraham was declared righteous, right? Abraham believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness, Genesis 15. Paul goes on to say, well, when he was given that declaration, when he was counted righteous, he was not our kind. He was those not our kind. He was uncircumcised. And then he received circumcision to show, to guarantee, to seal, if you will, his right, that he was righteous in the sight of God. And so then Paul makes this point. Why is that important? To show that Abraham is the father of all who believe in Jesus, who are uncircumcised, and is the father of all who believe in Jesus and are, are circumcised. It's the same salvation every one of us need, because every one of us is in the same sinking boat together. My kind and those not my kind. That's Paul's point in verse chapter 3 through chapter 6. The same saving rescue for our kind and those not our kind together. Because God shows no partiality. So if you ever hear someone say, you know, the Jews don't need Jesus, they just need the temple rebuilt, take them to Romans and say, no, the gospel is they need Jesus and Jesus only. Can you say that? They need Jesus and Jesus only. Well, and Paul goes on in Romans and in chapter 7 and 8, he goes on to show how we also need the same spirit empowerment. So chapter 7, which perplexes everybody under the sun, so don't worry if you're perplexed by it. But basically, Romans 7, Paul is launching into a prolonged description of a universal condition, a condition that all of us have, my kind and those not my kind. But he uses himself as a Jew as an example. Everybody finds the same situation, but he uses himself as a Jew as an example. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And so he becomes his own illustration. Well, see, for example, as a Jew, I hear the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. You shall not covet. And what do I immediately do? Covet. Right? When I want to do good, evil is close at hand. Universal condition. From our, our kind and those not our kind. We all have the same condition. And so Paul then cries out, O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so then Paul moves into chapter 8 where he begins with that clear statement, there is therefore now no condemnation for those, our kind and those not our kind, for those who are in Christ. There's no condemnation, so now what do we need? We need God to actually empower us. That's chapter 8 of Romans. We have a need for the same spirit empowerment together. Our kind and those not our kind. And that's the whole point of chapter 8, where he brings, it brings Paul to answer his own cry by showing us that the same spirit empowerment is with us together. It's the same spirit who is in us, that was in Christ, that now brings us to life. It's the same spirit, the spirit of adoption, by whom we... 
our kind and those not our kind, Jews and Gentiles, Republicans and Democrats, Billy Yanks and Johnny Rebs, Northerners, Southerners, Crips and Bloods, will we all together in Christ cry out together, Abba, Father. It's the same spirit empowerment. We all need the same spirit empowerment. That's Paul's point in Romans 8. In fact, he even goes further to emphasize how the spirit empowerment will actually have universal repercussions when all of God's shipwrecked creation comes to enter into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The shipwrecked creation also will be redeemed. The same Spirit comes and empowers our kind and it empowers those who are not our kind. And so all of this brings us then to be the same saved people. Brings us to be the same saved people. That's all of chapter 9 and 11 in a sentence. To become the same saved people. Paul very pointedly and emphatically addresses the our kind and those not our kind in chapters 9 through 10. And his point is, is that God's plan has always been universal. God's plan has always been to turn this kind right over here, this kind over here, and to turn this kind, that kind over there, into God's kind. Let me say it again. God's plan has always been to turn this kind over here and that kind over there into God's kind. That's Romans 9 through 11. Yes, God has been working through one people. I just already gave you an example, the promise to Abraham. Through your offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. But in that promise to Abraham, you already realize, oh, God is already working. And His goal is to take this kind and that kind and make them all God's kind. Hallelujah! So yes, He's been working through one people, but the goal has always been to bring about the encompassing of all people, our kind and those not our kind to encompass all people and to graft them into the tree of life. Chapter 11, verse 24. Our kind and those not our kind become by grace alone, in Christ alone, the same saved people together to the glory of God alone. The gospel carries the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The Jew first and also to the Greek. God has no distinction. He takes our kind and those not our kind and makes them God's kind all by grace alone. And so he makes us the same saved people who now live together. And here's where Paul's going. All of chapter 1 through 11 is moving to chapters 12 through 15. You know, offer yourselves as living sacrifices based upon the mercy of God I've just declared to you for 11 whole chapters, y'all. He didn't say y'all, but that's me, okay? Because of all of that, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Don't think too highly of yourself than you ought. In fact, use sober judgment. And part of sober judgment is to realize this, chapter 12, verse 4 through 8, that you are one body. And guess what? What does a body need? It needs all the body. You're one body. You're the hand. You're the eye. You're the foot. And together you support one another. Why would Paul go there? Because that's where Paul's been going since chapter 1, verse 16. 
You're one body. And you support one another. Our kind and those not our kind have now become God's kind. Act like it. There, that's Paul's point. And so he goes on to say, so abhor what is evil? But give yourself over to what is love? Seek to outdo showing one another, to, to honor to one another? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good and do it together. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for love is from God. I'm sorry, owe no one anything except to love one another, for love is the fulfilling of the commandments. For example, you shall not bear false witness, murder, or commit adultery, or if there's any other commandments, all summed up in this saying, you love your neighbors yourself. Love does what the law says, because love does no harm to a neighbor. Why would he be putting that in there? Because this is where he's going all along. And so in chapter 14, when he gets down to particulars over food and days and drinks where people love to divide, he comes right out and he says, hey, you think it's good? Wonderful. But don't let what you, you believe is good destroy your brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, remember, all that stuff is going away in a sense one day. And what matters is that you are the same saved people together in Christ living together. That's why Paul begins to wrap up the end of chapter, or chapter 15 when he finally says, and therefore because of all of this, he says in chapter 15, verse 7, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Remember, our kind and those not our kind were in the same sinking boat and by God's grace alone. He has taken our kind. He has taken those not our kind. And he has made us God's kind. He welcomed us. How do we respond? We welcome one another. Does that make sense? That's Romans in a nutshell. You have been, this is the first church service you've ever been. We basically have done all of Romans in 15 minutes. That's a celebration. And so my friends, God takes folk who normally would rather be at each other's throats, like Cain, like America, like our world. Anybody remember Rwanda? Two very black African tribes claiming to be Christians. That's humanity since Genesis 4. He takes folk who normally would rather be at each other's throats and by grace alone and Christ alone, he creates a whole new society because the gospel collects us by making us at peace with God. And thus now we've been liberated to finally, finally, finally be at peace with one another. been justified by faith right so Romans chapter 5 verse 1 therefore having been justified by faith you have peace with God God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still enemies while we still hated him and we hated everybody else while we were still enemies Christ died for us and it sets us free to finally look at one another and say I ain't no better than you and I am saved only the same way you are. It is by grace alone and Christ alone. 
And so now, having been made God's kind, we do this together. Last night, Anna and I were reading, were reading a devotional guide written by James Montgomery Boyce. If you don't know who he was, he was a preacher at 10th Presbyterian Church, a Presbyterian preacher at 10th Presbyterian. Wait, that's a redundancy. Anyways. Yeah, 10th Pres in Philadelphia. And it's a great little devotional guide called Come to the Waters. And we were reading last night and James Boyce said this, wrote this. The church is the great mystery that has been hidden. That God should make unto himself one people from all walks of life and from all positions in society and mold them into one. And then should begin to work in that people so that Paul can say that we are fellow workers with God Who would have guessed that? No one. Exactly. And so my friends, that was the introduction. Here comes the sermon. All of that was a long way to get us to the singular point of this whole lesson. Who the gospel collects. The gospel creates by collecting our kind and those not our kind and making them God's kind, the gospel creates a context for the gospel to be seen. The gospel creates a context for the gospel to be displayed. The gospel creates a context for the gospel to put our stormy, canish world on notice, but also to give those who are tuckered out and tired out by the social storms out there, all listed in Romans 1, 18-32, tired of that social, those social storms, they know, oh, there is a refuge, there is a shelter I can run to out of the storm. I can go here and become part of God's kind. That's why Paul says, going back to Romans 15, he says, in verse four, verse four, five, six, and seven, the God of encouragement, endurance, and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ that together you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. In all of the societal squalls and national tsunamis happening all around us, and I don't know if you've noticed it, but we've been in a storm for quite a long time. And with all of the growing piles of human debris and devastation, this is an important aspect of how the righteous live by faith. We do it, it's all by grace alone and Christ alone to the glory of God alone, but we do it together. Now, my friends, it is not easy by any stretch of the imagination because the works of the flesh, the works of the flesh are in all of us. With all of the division and divisiveness and isolating. In fact, listen to what Paul said in Galatians 5 as he talks about the works of the flesh and listen to how division and isolation are a primary set of characteristics within the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, hostility at each other's throats, strife, ready to go to blows in an instant, 
jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. All that sounds pretty divisive and isolating, doesn't it? That's the works of the flesh. As well as drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. And it's only, my friends, because this is the works of the flesh, this is in every one of us. Every one of us is a Cainite from conception, ready to go at each other's throats. If you don't believe me, go have kids. Every one of us is a Cainite from birth, from conception. The only way this can be remedied is by the intrusive grace of God. It is only as the gospel proclaims that your God reigns and here he, is, here he is, Jesus, and this is who He is and what He has done, is doing, will do for His people as He reclaims and recoups His shipwrecked creation and His trainwrecked creatures. Then with that comes the power of God to save us. The power of God that brings salvation to all who believe. And from that context then begins to blossom the fruit of the Spirit. As you think about the fruit of the Spirit, think about how countercultural it is and how counter Cainish it is. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. My friends, the gospel collects our kind and those not our kind, and we should be ecstatic, and makes us His kind. Thus, turning over Genesis 4, and turning it on His head. The gospel context. It's kind of hard to tell people that Jesus is Lord with like 20,000 denominations in North America. It's kind of hard to tell people that the gospel really saves when Christians, even very conservative Christians, pull out their verbal daggers and stilettos and begin going for the juggler. It's almost impossible. My friends, Jesus told us it would be impossible. He said to us, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you love one another, by this, by this, all the world will know that what? You are my disciples. You want to know why your country doesn't believe you? Just look at the church in America. I wouldn't believe us either. We're a mess. No, I can't fix the larger church. We can only begin really working in our sphere of influence. This is it here. And so hearing this and realizing we can be a context, a gospel context for the gospel to go out. So as people hear the gospel, they look and they say, oh wow, it really must be the gospel of God for salvation, or the power of God for salvation coming with the gospel. Look at how those people love one another. In fact, that's what Christopher Hutchinson writes in his book, Rediscovering Humility. This is a quotation, your sermon notes. It's what the deacons and elders and I are reading together right now. And Hutchinson gets it. God's grace in the gospel 
creates gospel-wrought humility, which in turn leads to gospel-driven unity. You've heard me quote it several times, and I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep it up, because I need to hear it too. My friends, the gospel comes, and with the power of God unto salvation, it makes us a new people who can finally stand one another and stand with one another. And if you want an illustration, go back and listen to what I said about the Capital Bible Study. To me, every time I go, it is like the best gospel context illustration I have run across in years. My friends, we're doing okay in this area, okay? I mean, we had a, uh, the wife of a minister that came last Sunday, and before she left, she parked in the back, before she left, she came running to the front door. She says, I got to tell you before I go, she's the wife of a minister, so she knows what my, what's going to make my heart happy. She runs up and she says, this is the friendliest church ever. Woo, yeah, sister. Whoa, I was singing. And there's so many things. If you'd been here Wednesday night at the catechism class, you had a whole bunch of kids running around and you had a bunch of adults working together, cooking and cleaning up and, and teaching and, and just together enjoying each other's company. There were so many little pictures of what I've just talked about. It's going on here. So don't, this is not a beat down sermon. You got it? It's a build up sermon. There's a reason why we need to be this way because we want to be this way. Why? Because God took my kind and those not my kind, and by grace alone and Christ alone, He made us into God's kind. Woo! He just preached my sermon. And so rejoice in that. And realize it is a big focus as a result of the gospel. May it always be a big focus to you. So I'm going to ask one last time. I'm going to ask two things one last time here. Number one. Kids, help me out. Come on, kids, get up. Get up. Because, you know, the adults probably don't remember how to do this, okay? They need you to show them, okay? What do we do with the gospel? We receive the gospel. We own the gospel. We pass on the gospel. Let's do it one more time. Here we go. One, two, three. What do we do with the gospel? We receive the gospel. We own the gospel. We pass on the gospel. Thank you very much. All right. Lastly, do you believe in Jesus? Have you come to throw yourself into his arms and say, it is only by you alone that I can be saved? My works, my resume won't save me. My IRA won't save me. Only you, Jesus. Have you come to that point? The scripture promises wide open. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus, I need you to save me. I even pointed out a prayer that's on the back of the worship guide. There's four prayers there. It's the prayer for belief. Use that. Do you believe in Jesus? May this be the day. Let's pray. Lord God, our world is a train wreck. Society, humankind, at each other's throats all the time. We divide over everything. Lord God, forgive us when we allow the works of the flesh their way with us. 
Oh, may the fruit of the Spirit blossom and flourish by your grace. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. Thank you, Lord, that you have taken those who are our kind and those who are not our kind. By grace alone and Christ alone, you have made us your kind. Thank you. Be with anyone who has never, ever, ever come to trust in Christ. May they today put their faith in Jesus this very day. Amen.